Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today's lesson I think will encourage and bless all of you listening. I hope it will anyway. To participate in this, if you would, go ahead and open up to John chapter 20, and you can read along with me. I'm going to go over several verses there to begin with. Here we go. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb, so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself." Then the other disciple, who came first to the tomb, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, I do not know where they've laid him. Now, when she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have yet not ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, that he had spoken these things to her. Okay, that's John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. This is the big one. This is the sign of all signs for all time. Yet Jesus said it was to be given to a perhaps unexpected group. He said in Matthew 12, verses 39 and 40, he said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, all the previous signs we read about in the book of John were recorded, as he said, to encourage the believers to increase their faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. See John 20, verses 30 and 31. But the sign of the resurrection was specifically said by Christ to be for an evil and adulterous generation of sign-seekers. Now, the resurrection of Jesus is 
the most blessed event in all the history of mankind. It is the fundamental belief required for salvation. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that is, who he is and what he did for you on the cross, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, over the centuries, many Christians and, quote, Christian cults have added to these simple requirements, but there are no other requirements for salvation, no additional beliefs or mandatory merit badges. It is the one key. It's the narrow way. It's the doorway to eternal life. So, of course, it's for the evil and adulterous. Uh, Hold on. That's you and me, not just the Pharisee. The resurrection is the underpinning of our entire faith. No resurrection, no Christianity. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. From the earliest times of biblical history, this has been the creed in what is probably the oldest book of scriptures, a weary yet tested and confident Job declared in Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. A dead Redeemer wouldn't do it. It was the living Redeemer upon whom he fixed his faith. The critics of Christ rarely debate his motives or death. They are quick, however, to try to dismiss his resurrection. Wasn't the cross enough? Can't we just believe that Christ died for our sins? What's so critical about believing the witnesses to his resurrection? To answer this, we must follow the Apostle John, so to speak, into the realm of the Spirit. In the book of Revelation, he recorded, and this is in Revelation 5, 1 through 7, he said, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, you know that's Jesus, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, 
having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So here the Lamb of God, who had been slain and was yet alive, came and took the scroll with the seven seals. He was the only one who could look at it, hold it, and open it. Note that John, when at first it appeared that no one could take the scroll from God the Father, he wept much. The scene was obviously tearing him up, rending his heart. You know, all men die. Some men have died for good and noble reasons. A few have even died heroically. Yet none were found worthy to take the scroll. Now why is this? And what's this scroll anyway? When mankind, represented by Adam and Eve, opened the door to sin and death, humanity began to build an enormous, unimaginably huge debt. Recall Jesus taught us to pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Matthew 6. The Bible says that all men are born in sin. As a consequence, we have a sin nature. It's in us. The old saying is we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. In addition, the right to rule this world, which was originally given by God to man, passed to Satan, the God of this world, the Bible calls him. We know this as Jesus did not contest the devil's claim during his wilderness temptation in Luke 4. It's recorded, the devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you will worship me, all will be yours. That's Luke 4. Now, take you back to the Old Testament to kind of give some more color here to this story. In Leviticus 25, the Lord specified, that the earth is his, and therefore any debt incurred on the land, if not redeemed, would nevertheless be canceled during what was called the year of Jubilee, which actually happened every 50 years. However, that which pertained to man, that which man established, that is, his kingdoms, walled cities and such, the stuff of which man is quite proud, if it fell into a debt situation and was not redeemed, it remained forever indebted. You see, sin creates a debt, and its collector is death, which was the power of Satan. Check out Hebrews 2.14. In John's day, it was common to have scrolls representing a form of ownership such as a deed or an inheritance. If a debt was incurred against the property represented by the scroll, it would be sealed and the debt recorded on the outside. Only when the debt or debts were paid could the scroll be surrendered and opened. With this in mind, I suggest that the scroll seen by John in the heavenly scene was representative of mankind. The earth, though it is under a curse, check out Genesis 3.17, belongs to the Lord. Mankind, however, 
had to be redeemed. Because all men sin and die, none could ever pay the debt of sin. What was needed was someone sinless, someone perfect. Now, for thousands of years, this was pictured in the sacrifice of a spotless, perfect lamb. Enter Jesus, the one and only man to live a sinless life. And taking upon himself the entirety of our sin at Calvary, he satisfied the debt and destroyed the debt collector. He and he alone is worthy to take the scroll, to look upon it and open it. Mankind is now his. If he had not paid the debt with his life, John knew that all of us would forever be obligated to die. Now back to our original question. What is it about the resurrection that makes it the key to eternal life? Well, after all, couldn't Jesus just have gone to heaven purely as a spirit being? Why come back in a physical body? Hmm. Here's why. The resurrection is the one sign for evil and adulterous sign seekers because it shows that God, as the final judge, accepted the payment for our evil and adulterous ways as being made in full. None of the debt remains. Past, present, and future sin, it's all paid for. The resurrection is our guarantee that we indeed have eternal life in Christ Jesus if we will simply believe and accept it. Without the resurrection, we would have at best been given or maybe left guessing. Because of it, we can be 100% sure. Since our Savior emerged from that tomb, we will never see death either. We who believe will simply one day pass from a temporal life to eternal life in a moment. Max Lucado in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, tells the story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a large river. The tribe was in need of medical attention. A contagious disease was ravaging the population, and people were dying daily. A hospital was not too terribly far away, across the river, but the Indians would not cross it because they believed it was inhabited by evil spirits. To enter the water would mean certain death, they thought. The missionary explained how he had crossed the river and was unharmed. They were not impressed. He then took them to the bank and placed his hand in the water. They still wouldn't go. He walked into the water, up to his waist, and splashed the water on his face. It didn't matter. They were still afraid to enter the river. Finally, he dove into the river, swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side. He punched a triumphant fist into the air. He had entered the water and escaped. It was then that the Indians broke out into a cheer and followed him across. That's exactly what Jesus did. He told the people of his day that they need not fear the river of death, but they wouldn't believe. He touched a dead boy, called him back to life. They still didn't really believe. He whispered his life into the body of a dead girl and got the same result. He let a dead man spend four days in a tomb and then called him out, and the people still didn't really believe him. Finally, 
he entered the river of death and came out on the other side. No wonder we celebrate the resurrection. Thanks, Bruce Howell, for that. On a final note, it's fascinating that Jesus referred to his resurrection as being the sign of the prophet Jonah, for he was the only prophet who was specifically sent to preach to the Gentiles. Those were the Ninevites. You recall that it was after Jonah's resurrection, out of the belly of the great fish, that the message of repentance was taken to the Gentile nation. And they received it. They repented and were saved from judgment. So it has been with the message of the gospel. It was taken to the Gentile nations around the world, and they received it as well. Simply put, Christ's death on Calvary reconciled us to God, and his resurrection brought us life. That is, it saved us from death. Paul wrote in Romans 5, he said, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Friends, receive the sign of Jonah, believe the resurrection, and live. Now, may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast, and may you realize more of his grace today.